Hello, my friends. Welcome to Rainbow Parenting, the queer and gender affirming parenting and education podcast. I am your host, Linz Amer. Today, I'm talking to Jess Venable Novak, who works for the organization Family Equality. Yes, we are talking about queer and trans families today, which is something I am very, very excited to talk about. And I hope that will be an exciting topic for all of you folks listening out there. Family Equality is a national LGBTQ plus nonprofit organization with a mission to advance legal and lived equality for LGBTQ plus families and for those who wish to form them through community building, changing hearts and minds, and driving policy change. And I absolutely love that mission. I've worked with Family Equality before. During the lockdown portion of the pandemic, I was doing monthly family performances with Family Equality, and it was just truly a lovely experience. And I'm so excited that I get to spotlight them on the podcast today and chat with Jess. Before we get to that conversation, though, we have a little bit of business to get through because this is our second to last episode. We are almost fully through the very first season of Rainbow Parenting. So thank you so, so much to everyone who's supported and followed us along on this journey. It has been really, really incredible getting to reconnect with a community of queer and trans folks and allies who have littles in their lives and are invested in queer liberation work in and around early childhood. So thank you so, so much for supporting this podcast. I've had an absolute blast talking to all of these incredible guests. And I have a huge list of future guests that I really, really hope to get to sooner rather than later. In order for us to get there and be able to make a season two happen, if that's something you all want, and I I hope you do, because it's something that I definitely want, we need to get the word out there about this podcast. So if you can think of one, two, maybe three friends that you can share either this episode with or one of our other episodes, maybe you have a favorite that we've done so far, maybe share that episode with those friends or on your social media feeds. We are still very new and we are still looking for our audience and building our community. And we need you, our dedicated listeners, to help us do that. So if you like the podcast, make sure you share it with a friend. Go over to our Patreon and support us financially. That would be awesome. It's just $5 a month and you get access to lots and lots and lots of awesome content over there. That's where we do most of the Queer Kids Stuff content. So head over to the Queer Kids Stuff Patreon page and support us and make sure you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Or if you don't want to put it up on Apple Podcasts, send us an email. Business at QueerKidsStuff.com is where we receive all of our emails. If you want to tell us why you love the podcast or what your favorite episode is or how you've been sharing it with your family and your friends, we would absolutely love to hear it. And if you have any future guest ideas, we would also love to hear those too. And I can add them to my giant list of people I want to talk to. All right, that's the business out of the way. Before we get to my conversation with Jess, here's what you need to know. All right, so Jess and I are talking a lot about queer and trans family. But before we get there, I want to give a little bit of context in what what exactly we mean when we're talking about queer and trans families. Jess 
brings up these three kind of keywords that I, I love in the way that they discuss queer and trans families, which is about chosen family, found family, and formed family. And I, I really love those sentiments. But before we kind of get to that level, I want to break down the idea of the so-called nuclear family a little bit. Because the idea of family that we're talking about in this conversation is so much more expansive than that quote-unquote nuclear family that is all over our cis-heteronormative culture. So the nuclear family generally consists of a cisgender man, a cisgender woman, and 2.5 children. Which, uh, I mean, the 2.5 kids part, I think there's a lot to that. Just thinking in that number, in that half of a child way of looking at family is not looking at children as people, looking at children as a number, as lesser than grownups who are their own entities in that family. So that's like, there's a lot of stuff to unpack with the nuclear family, but like that's one thing as we're continuing to discuss childism and complicate that from a queer and trans lens. Let's look at that number, that 2.5 and say, hmm, that's like diminishing entire person into half of themselves, which I think is pretty yucky when you're talking about, even when you're talking about statistics, like the average number of children in a typical cishet family structure. I say typical with very large air quotes here. And I, I bring all of this up because I'm not going to get into the history of the nuclear family. That's an episode for another podcast, honestly. But I do want to talk about the fact that when we think about family in a larger cultural context, we're usually talking about biological family. We're usually talking about the family you were born into. As we're going through this conversation, that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about queer folks who are building their own families, and part of that might be biological, but part of it might be chosen, part of it might be found, and part of it might be formed, which is inherently a queered way of looking at family and what families can look like for queer and trans people who a lot of the time are not connected to the family they were born into. Now, that's obviously not true for every queer and trans person. Oh, that's my dog. <laughs> but for a lot of queer and trans people, our families that we were born into, our quote unquote biological families for a lot of people, can be a really painful relationship, can be a really painful place to be in because it's so steeped in heteronormative, cisnormative culture. And that culture's obsession with family in relation to the definition of the quote-unquote nuclear family that I was talking about before. Queer families are made up of queer and trans people, but it's also a queered definition of family, a queer way of looking at family as kind of a theoretical unit or as a community even. So I just wanted us to be thinking about family in a queer way in that sense as well, outside of just the makeup of the identities of the people who belong to that version of family. All right, 
That's enough of me talking. Let's get to my conversation with Jess Venable Novak of Family Equality. Hi, friends. Today, I'm here with Jess Venable Novak from Family Equality. Hello, Jess. Hi, friends. Hi, Linz. Hi. Can you tell us your pronouns and how you identify real quick? Absolutely. So my pronouns are they, them, and I identify in so many different ways. I identify as a white trans non-binary person. I also identify as being able-bodied And I identify as a parent, which is probably one of my most precious identities. Mm. I have a nine-year-old daughter and a six-month-old kiddo, and I identified as a Midwesterner. So I live on the East Coast now, but was born and raised in the Midwest. And that's a big part of who I am too. Mm, beautiful. I love all of the identifiers and labels people bring to this show because it's it's so much more than what you would like think looking at a person, but also like has been descriptive of like that person's life at, like in the moment. And I I really love that you brought up being a parent and also being a Midwesterner. And that gives like context and background to your life. And I think that that's something that's like really beautiful about that, like open-ended question of like, how, how do you identify? And for queer people, I think that it, it means one thing in certain contexts, but I, I love when people bring their whole selves to this work. So with that said, how are you doing today? Oh, such a good question. Um, it's really hot here. Mm-hmm. We don't live too far from each other. So I bet it's really hot where you are too. It's um, a little toasty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's complicated, but I'm all in all, I'm pretty good. I'm actually doing swim lessons with mm. my six month old. So that's like a really special break in my day this week. That um, sounds lovely. At a pool or ocean? It is a pool, um, like our town pool. Cute. And it's with a bunch of other babies and toddlers, which is really cute. We're, we're definitely the youngest. Um, my kiddo just turned six months yesterday. So oh my gosh, congrats. Um, it's really just splashing around and trying to drink the pool water, but it's really special. Oh, that sounds <laughs> like the sweetest. My like face, people can't see is like the puppy dog eyes, like yeah, crying mushy. emoji. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mushy heart eyes face. Yeah, that's how I feel too during swim lessons. It's oh, very cute. I love it. So you're coming to us. We're talking today about your organization, Family Equality, and we're talking about queer family building as well as the advocacy work that you all do outside of and within the queer community, I would say. So mm-hmm. I, I think I wanted to like approach this from two kind of spaces and see where we go from there. Because I think one side of things is like talking to folks who are not queer trans about like what queer and trans family planning and building means. Because I think it's one thing to say, oh, so-and-so has two dads versus like understanding what it took to create that family and what it takes to live as that family. Giving like a deeper picture of what queer and trans families are for a cis straight audience. And that's the advocacy side of it. And then the other side of it is like talking to queer and trans people about getting information, right? Because like there isn't a lot out there and we all grew up in this straight cis normative world and haven't known how to build our own families. So I, I'm curious about and we can get into kind of like the different aspects of both sides of the work in that way. But I'd love to just kind of like hear from you 
what family equality is, how you describe what you do, and how does it feel to like sit within that relationship between those two audiences? Because that's, I think, something that I do a lot of, and I'm, I'm really curious to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate you laying that all out and kind of the the nuance of it, right? Because while, you know, LGBTQ family building is just that, um, there's a lot of nuances and a lot of variety of understanding. And it's also deeply personal, right? Mm -hmm. Like our families, whether they're found, formed, or chosen, um, there are families, you know, mm -hmm. there are hearts. So uh, that process of finding, forming, and choosing is very deeply personal and precious to a lot of folks. But to kind of get into the nitty gritty. So I work at an organization called Family Equality, and we're a national nonprofit. We've been around for over 40 years. And simply put, we serve LGBTQ families, and that can look like a lot of things. So all of our work really centers around the idea that we believe Every LGBTQ person deserves the unconditional love and belonging that comes with family. Mm. And like I said, family to me and to us, family is whatever you say it is. So I'm not going to tell you who's in your family and what your family is supposed to look like. You know that, you know it in your bones and you know it in your heart. So our job, my job is really getting resources to LGBTQ families. So information for folks to tap into education, connecting them with local experts to wherever they live. It also looks like making space for community for people to find each other and to also find, like I said, those experts or a lot of the folks I work with are people who are expanding their families or if we think of them as prospective parents. So a lot of my work is helping them find you know, queer competent providers mm -hmm. in their area. Right. And we can get more into that later because that's a big piece. Not huge piece. Yeah. Um, and harder than it should be for sure. Yeah. That's kind of a high level of the work that we do. Mm -hmm. um, it's um, a huge joy and privilege to be able to spend my time thinking about this. Right. Like I always feel like it's really special that, you know, a lot of my brain is taken up by like how can we make the world better for queer families? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's a big answer to that question. It's huge. It's bigger than anything I can do as an individual or any one entity can do. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, you know, it's crucial. It's so needed. Yeah. I think let's get into that. What does help queer families? Because I, I mean, so much is coming up for me with all of this, but I think that like looking at that like blue sky dream of liberation for mm -hmm. queer trans families is so important. So we can backtrack and like figure out how to get there, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I love that you brought up the word liberation because that's kind of how I approach my work thinking about like, you know, in my dream world, we don't even have to have all of this understanding, right? Like I can just come to you and hear about your life and who your family is. And like, that's enough. I don't need a lot of that background, mm -hmm. but we aren't there yet <laughs> as a society. So a lot of what, at least in my experience, a lot of what LGBTQ families are needing or wanting when they're starting on a path to parenthood or starting to expand their families is pretty multifaceted. So there's one bucket of kind of the nuts and bolts, right? Like people are thinking about, you know, what is 
a path to parenthood entail? What's the mm-hmm. cost? What does it mean to form my family through adoption versus surrogacy, right? Those mm-hmm. are two really different things. So there's a base level education that's really needed just so mm-hmm. folks can make an informed decision about what's right for them. There's so much that comes along with just those two things. Exactly. Yeah. So so I try to think of things as different paths to parenthood, mm-hmm. right? And it's really important to know that like LGBTQ people have been forming and having families since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't new. Maybe some of the technology is newer. Maybe the words that we use to describe things have evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, but our queer families have always been here. So that's kind of the other bucket that I like to talk about, right? There's like the nuts and bolts, but then there's also the community mm-hmm. aspect. We've been keeping each other safe and helping each other thrive as queer folks since the beginning of time Mm -hmm. also. And tapping into that is really crucial, I think, just as an LGBTQ person in general, but especially when you're embarking on something like forming your family, um, because there are decades of wisdom in our community, right? So a big part of my job is helping folks find each other, Mm. whether that's in, you know, a virtual peer support group that we host, or whether it's on a discord server, or whether it's, you know, actually connecting someone via email to another person who has a similar experience so that they can connect and share stories and share anxieties and joys and really be in community on that journey. I love the way that you're framing this around family building as community building as well, like family building and formation is not just about fertility. It's not just about that question of surrogacy adoption, which all come with money and, and privilege and lots of things like, but my when you're when you were speaking about that, my brain went to like Paris is burning and the culture of ballroom and amongst black trans people mostly, but also black queer people and Latina queer people, and how those are families. Right. Mm -hmm. And like how important it is to understand like pre-science and fertility of like queer people figuring out how to get pregnant and have their own babies and and the science of it all. Like queer family is so is ancestral. Right. It's it's something that we've been doing for a really long time because that's part of being human and part of surviving. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's so important and it's really central to who I am as a person, but Mm -hmm. also the work that I do that, you know, we can say that like family isn't biology. I think Mm -hmm. that that's widely accepted in our society, like even amongst non-LGBTQ people. Right. Mm -hmm. But to really like feel that in your body and to know that deeply, I think is a totally different experience. Um, And something like, even in my own experience, I, you know, in college and as a young adult, I had really vibrant queer community, definitely a very robust chosen family, especially Mm -hmm. as I was kind of like negotiating relationships with my family of origin. So I always knew that family had nothing to do with biology or where you come from or like who raised you even. Mm -hmm. But I think it wasn't until I like became a step parent. So Mm -hmm. my my nine-year-old is technically my stepdaughter, although we don't really use that term. I'm just one of her parents. Yeah. Um, but I've been in her life since she was two. And I think for me, it wasn't until I was really kind of thrown into that identity that I like deeply understood that family can be 
anything, right? And it's so wildly personal, you know, and that was just my path. And it just so happened to coincide with being a parent or a caregiver. But I don't think that needs to be the case for everyone or anyone, you know, without sounding too cliche, I think as LGBTQ people, that truth really lives in our bones. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just a matter of like, recognizing it, tapping into it, and really finding the joy of chosen family to kind of bring it to the surface. Absolutely. And like this comes up a lot when I'm talking about education, especially in early childhood around queerness and sexuality and families, because usually the approach I take when I'm talking about sexuality with young kids is about looking at different kinds of families. And you know, what does a queer family look like? My uh, my parents divorced when I was in like first grade when I was like six or something like that. And so and my both my parents remarried. And so I have I have four parents. And that's just always been the reality of my life. And people are still even though my parents are all like very cis and very straight, I still kind of grew up in like a non-normative family structure. And people still got really thrown off by that. Like we have like a lot of different last names in my family. So me and my one of my sisters who I have, I have two stepsisters and a quote unquote biological sister. And one of my sisters and I were in the same grade in high school and we had different last names. And the deans would keep putting us in the same classroom and like the same sections of like science class. And we're like, we are siblings. <laughs> can you like, 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 can you treat us like the way you would like a set of twins. Like we're obviously not twins, but like we live in the same household. We're around each other constantly. Like, can you please like let us have like (laughs) a little bit of a separate life in our educational space? And so it's thinking about like, I think like all these different ideas of queerness in families and like non-normative family structures and just like really deconstructing the nuclear family. It affects so many people in so many different ways, even straight and cis people. Exactly. Yeah. Being, you know, a parent and having a kid in school, just everything you're saying resonates because the nuance of family can't be captured in an intake form, right? Like even if we make them so inclusive, which Mm -hmm. like I love to do that. I love that part of my work. It's still like, it's so deeply personal that, you know, even if you write a narrative, it can't really be captured. And something that has been really important for me as a parent interacting with different institutions like school, for example, Mm -hmm. is to talk to our child's classroom teacher and the other like really important adults in her life kind of about that, right? The Not just who our family is and kind of how we understand ourselves and how we want to be understood in the world, but also that like my daughter, no, like she's an expert on her own family. So like just what you're saying, like <laughs> the adults in your life should trust you and your yeah. siblings because like you know, and they don't, you know, like they're just trying to like, for lack of a better term, make sense of everyone's reality where like, Mm -hmm. we could just ask people like you can, I always try to empower my daughter's teacher. I'm like, if you don't know how to refer to one of her four queer parents, like she also has four parents and we're all LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't know like what holiday she celebrates or how to talk about her younger sibling because they're gender nonconforming, you can just ask her (laughs) and she will give you the right answer. And I think, you know, I listened to this podcast and we've brushed up against each other in like professional circles, but I'm a huge fan of queer kids stuff. And that was really important to our family as our daughter was growing. And I'm always, you know, excited by the way you talk about empowering youth and the idea of 
like ageism or childism, because I think that that plays such a huge role. And I think as there are more visible LGBTQ families, that means that there's more visible queer spawn or children Mm -hmm. of LGBTQ people. And in our society, we have this inherent distrust of youth and young people, Mm -hmm. but it's really crucial. Like these two things are coming hand in hand, right? We need to trust youth more and like know that they know their own truth, especially when it comes to like more queerness being visible in the world. So it's just a really like interesting mix of two things that like I think a lot of people think are not related I know you're not one of those people because you talk about them (laughs) hand in hand all the time um, which I love but just to kind of go back to our original topic like that is one of the complexities of being an LGBTQ parent or having an LGBTQ family right this like really high level of intentionality of like how do we want to talk about our family to other people and how much do we want to like set that up or like tee up that conversation and how, how willing are we to just like see what happens? Mm. You know, that's just stuff that non-LGBTQ people don't really have to think about, but also, you know, what you said is that there are a lot of families that aren't necessarily queer, but have, you know, just like winding, beautiful, robust family dynamics (laughs) and family um, circumstance where like these conversations are becoming more Mm -hmm. common, which is exciting. Like just to share a little anecdote, we moved in the last year from a really small school district to a, a larger one. So now my daughter is in a school where there's like three classes for each grade, whereas before we were in like really, really small town. And her two friends both have two houses or have like blended families Mm. and that like did there was like one other kid in her class last year that had that circumstance and now it's like half of her class and Mm -hmm. her two like besties and like those are not queer families but like they they see a part of our family and that like being seen is so important for all of us but especially for my daughter right because then Mm -hmm. she doesn't have to you know she she's a pretty sensitive kid and she doesn't like to be different which is unfortunate for her because she has like a big old gay family (laughs) she'll learn to love it eventually yeah exactly she (laughs) learns to love it but she doesn't have to have that level of like explaining things to her friends and just Mm -hmm. seeing that evolution for her in the last year has been like so healing for her I don't know if she knows that yet she's only nine but like the way she's approached her friendships has made such a difference. So I can only imagine when she has a friend in her life every day that has a queer family, mm. like that's just going to like widen her world and like let her exhale and drop her shoulders mm. more than she knows. Sorry. I feel like I love that. Winding no. Path. no, it's great. Thank you for telling that story. And thank you for going there with childism too. I think it's, it was, it was something that I was like, Ooh, I want to talk about childism. And then you brought it up. It was great. Cause it's such an important thing to talk about. When we're talking about kids and we're talking about queerness because we're talking about kids who are at the intersection of those identities and probably other multiple identities. And something that I, that's kind of coming up for me through all of this that, that, that I think is maybe interesting to talk about is kind of like the difference between working with adults. Most of what you do is probably talking to and with grownups, parents, soon-to-be parents, hopeful parents, and and a lot of conversations at the adult level, which then will probably trickle down to their children. So talking about like 
how we're talking to parents intentionally, how we're talking to parents about talking to their kids and what those kind of conversations are like too. And I think your the anecdote about your your child is important in that as well of like, may, maybe you're having specific conversations with her, but like you're not having like that healing conversation with her necessarily. And like being purposeful in what you're talking to children about, but then also like being intentional about like letting them get whatever information is is pertinent to them based on like them and their choices around that. So like uh, something that I've been hearing about from folks who listen to this podcast is that they're listening to it with their children, um, which was not something I ever anticipated, but it was like a really cool thing to hear that like it was resonating with kids and is legible to kids too. And I wasn't surprised by that, but um, it was kind of an exciting moment to hear that of like, oh, this work is like still making sense to kids and they can parse, maybe they don't like understand all of the complexities of it, but like that's okay. And you can grow into those complexities. And I think that that's also a side of this and like figuring out like, okay, when we're talking about families, what what do we need to be talking to parents about? What do we need to be talking to kids directly about? What do we need to be talking to the full family unit about? And then what is information that should be distilled through adults to children? Yeah, that's a really great question. And that is some of the work that I get to do. So most of what I do is for parents, caregivers, adults, like you said. But because the folks that I work with are parents or parents-to-be, mm-hmm. we can't pretend like that doesn't affect their relationship with their kids or there's not that kind of like trickle down or wanting to share with their youth. Like we have a peer support group. We have a, a few different peer support groups, but one of them is for uh, trans and non-binary parents mm-hmm. or prospective parents. And I used to facilitate that and now I get to go as a participant, which is really exciting. Cool. But that, you know, the topic of coming out to my kids or Mm. like, how do I, how do I keep up this conversation like about my own identity with my kids? Mm -hmm. I think just illustrates, you know, the question that you asked really well, because, you know, that space is so needed for parents in a very Mm -hmm. sacred way because they need space to just be them and to like bring their parent self, right? Like that's also a big joy in the work that I get to do is that being queer and being a parent is so important to me. So to make space for other people to like enjoy and love both of those things, which Mm -hmm. doesn't always happen is really special, but we're also often talking about like, what does this mean for my kids? Or like, how do I talk about this with my children? They're really complex conversations, right? Like not just using that as an example, but, um, you know, whatever the topic may be, because there's this element of caring for yourself as a parent and Mm. caregiver, and then also really wanting, you know, to give this information or open this conversation with your youth. And I think that that's something, I guess I don't know if it's unique to LGBTQ parents because I'm pretty much only surrounded by LGBTQ parents (laughs) in my work. But I think because we as queer people have high levels of self-awareness and a lot of intentionality, especially in fostering a sense of family. Mm -hmm. We also tend to want to be really intentional and bring our kids into important conversations. Like Mm -hmm. I would say the queer parents I meet that are like, I would never talk to my kid about that are pretty rare, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Usually we're wanting to like really make sure they have access to 
competent information to important topics, you know, mm-hmm. maybe that society deems are like too old, right? That's like that mm-hmm. childism again, which is awesome and makes things a little bit more complicated because it's like, how do we translate, mm-hmm. you know, something like the overturning of Roe? Yeah. How do we talk about that with our kids? You know, we have great resources. Like I know you talked to the author of what is, is an abortion anyway? Yeah, which, Carly Manis. You know, like that's a good starting point, but then like, how do you keep that conversation mm-hmm. going? Yeah. How do you layer beyond that first conversation for sure? Exactly. Yeah. And we talk about a lot of different things. So I would say whenever I am thinking about a specific topic, I think of it in terms of like what resources or what support would an LGBTQ family need, right? Mm. So harmful laws getting passed in way too many states around trans youth, around gender affirming healthcare, like Mm -hmm. that is a big deal. So what do our families need? You know, that's also a long laundry list of things, but what can I give them you know, from family equality, given the scope of my work. Mm -hmm. And usually that looks like two things. It looks like, well, maybe it looks like three things. It looks like a space for community, right? Mm -hmm. So a space to find other people to grieve, to find joy, to just be honest or to be distracted together. It can look like a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. It usually looks like a resource on how to take care of yourself Mm -hmm. as a parent or caregiver, knowing that like, your queerness is probably activated. Your like parentness is probably activated, plus all of the other intersections of your mm-hmm. identity. Like maybe you live in a state where this is happening. Maybe you're a trans person yourself, all of those things. And then there's another resource that's how do I talk to my kids about this or how do I support my kids in this moment? Mm-hmm. And that like kind of three prong approach has been a helpful way for me to think about this as someone who's like, I guess, giving services or like in service of LGBTQ families. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also a digestible way for families, especially that like, how do I take care of myself? Like, humans aren't super good at that. Yeah. <laughs> Parents aren't super good at that. <laughs> Queer people, especially if you like have a, you know, trauma history, aren't super good at that. So that's always the one that I'm like, I need to put a little, a lot of love into that. And mm-hmm. sometimes that looks like community. Sometimes it looks like silly reminders, like, you know, buy a white noise machine, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can link to like a bunch of resources that I've written and it really runs the gamut of different self-care ideas. Because mm-hmm. I think that like what's all, what I'm also curious about is like working with queer families and like all that that entails. And like that also includes cis straight parents who have kids who are coming out and that is becoming increasingly more common and having those conversations about what you talk to your kid about especially when they're coming out as trans or as queer and like what you need to like make sure you're processing separate from them I think is a conversation that's being had right now. I mean, I was just watching like capital D discourse on Twitter. <laughs> but like, yeah, I'm cur- I'm I have a lot of thoughts and feelings, but I'm curious about yours and your experience dealing with like that side of like I don't know what you would call that. Like um like newly queer family some something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't really have a word for it either. It is really interesting because again, like that's not necessarily a new phenomenon, no, right? Like not at all. we all come from families that are probably not for some of us, like my family, no one in my family was queer ahead of me. Or out at least. Or out. Yeah, exactly. Not that I know of. Mm-hmm. Um 
but there is this heightened level of, I guess you call it representation or like parents not being ashamed, right? They mm-hmm. like want, <laughs> they want resources. They want community. They know that they need to do more to support their youth and like just doing what they've always done, Yeah, which is a huge like growth spurt. Mm-hmm. Like let's go straight cis parents. Good job. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is a really interesting kind of situation, right? Because you have these parents who need kind of their own space to process mm-hmm. and then you need them to show up for their youth. And mm-hmm. those could be two really different experiences. Mm-hmm. And also knowing that those two experiences need to be separate. Exactly. Yes. And I, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, I think about my own experience with my own parents, like not to get too into the weeds, but um, my parents are both recovering addicts Mm -hmm. and they're in Narcotics Anonymous. And I grew up with a really robust chosen family that was Mm -hmm. not queer, right? Like we, we lived with other parents and their kids. I always had this really deep understanding of community and chosen family growing up just Mm -hmm. because of that. Like my parents Mm -hmm. being in a 12 step program and something that gave me a lot of peace when I came out to my parents was I knew that they had their own support system to Mm -hmm. go to through that, right? They had like their own sponsors. They had their own chosen family. And I think that's really unique. And I don't think a lot of parents have that, like especially straight cis parents of a certain generation. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard, I think, for a lot of these parents. And we, I will say that we mostly interact with LGBTQ parents Mm -hmm. with kids of various identities. We don't like serve a whole lot of the like non-queer parents with queer kids, mostly because we refer them to really local resources because Mm. without sounding patronizing, they need a lot of um, love and support, right? Like that I can't really give from a national Mm. level. But I think, you know, in the work that I have done with that kind of that population, there's like a moment of like, oh, I need my own support, Mm -hmm. which like for some folks, that's like a new a new thought. Yeah. Which like, there's no shame in that. But I think that there's also this hurdle of like that, right? Like thinking like, I need to support my youth and I need to support myself. The queerest person that's closest to me is now probably my child. Mm. (laughs) And they're not the person I can go to for like education or support or any of those things. Or at least you shouldn't be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I guess you probably might and you shouldn't. It's, I think it's hard as someone who doesn't have those identities, but also like being a parent myself, I can understand how that's just hard as a parent. Um, It's kind of a funny thing to say, like, I am someone who like, so believes in both of my children being their own person, like Mm -hmm. even as a six month old little rug rat. But I also want to be really connected to them because I love them so much. And I want us to like be on this like life journey together. So I can understand in this like super tender parent way that like that separation, if you do have a really strong connection with your child has to be so hard. So it's complex. It's so complex and there are not enough resources, right? Like you can come to family equality. We can connect you with P flag. We can connect you with your local like LGBTQ family group or LGBTQ center, or, you know, just like great people we know that live in your, your area. But somehow that's still not enough. It's like, there's never enough. And I think I'm like a big believer in peer support groups, just like (laughs) in real life, virtually. I just think that they- Accessible therapy, right? 
Exactly. They meet this like really deep need that isn't met in other ways. And I think that like having more peer support spaces for non-LGBTQ parents of LGBTQ kids is like paramount. Like it's like, it's like a great, great need. Yeah, I totally, I totally, totally agree because it's very different needs. And like a queer parent isn't going to want to be in that space. They're going to have a lot, very different issues. Exactly. Also meeting people where they're at, right? Because like, you're going to talk about, you know, this parent who's feeling kind of like, quote unquote, grief for their like trans kid who came out. And like, that is a whole thing to unpack, like you projecting like a vision of your child onto them. And like, that's Mm. actually what you're grieving, not like your child themselves. And like, there's just like a lot of problematic stuff that's going to come up, like around that, that like maybe queer parent and trans parents like, can't be yeah. around for their Don't own. Don't want to be around exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but like it also like is just like a part of that person's process that they're going to need to work through and deconstruct and like heal for themselves so that they can have a productive and like loving relationship with their child who is doing something incredibly vulnerable, like coming out to your parents, especially as trans in this time and time that we're living through. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yes, peer support groups and yes, having separate spaces for people to work through their stuff. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And I think I used to work at the Pride Center of Vermont, which is our statewide um, LGBTQ center. We had a group for parents and partners of trans people, and I didn't really know how healing that space could be until I like really got to know some of the folks who were in that space and seeing that like folks whose children came out as trans 15 years ago, Mm. interacting with folks whose child like just came out as trans and like physically seeing that kind of healing relationship in our space was like really eye-opening to me because I don't, that's just not my experience. You know, I know how healing it could be as a younger trans person to talk to trans elders, mm-hmm, but to absolutely. see that, yeah, it shifted some things in me and I think made me appreciate non-LGBTQ parents that have queer kids mm-hmm. and also like lit this little fire of like, we need more of those spaces because that's mm-hmm. the way to like learn, you know, most parents, they need the space, but they also just want to learn how to be the best parents they can be in the midst of all of their feelings. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's universal, I think, of being a parent. But I think learning from others, you know, like I think it's seeing that richness of community that queer people know so well. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those moments where non-queer people are experiencing that. And mm. it's really um quite lovely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yes. We're gonna take a very quick break and then we'll be back for a listener question. Amazing. Family Equality is teaming up with Glisten and Collage to launch a national survey talking to LGBTQ plus families about their experience in schools. The survey is an important tool in fighting anti-LGBTQ plus bias in K-12 schools all across the U.S. The information gathered from this survey will be published as a full report and will aid organizations like Family Equality to inform education policymakers and the public about the right of all students and all families to be treated with respect in their schools. We'll be putting the link to the survey in our show notes, and if you have a second, we would 
so, so appreciate if you filled it out. There is not enough research and data on LGBTQ plus families. And in order to enact policies that respect LGBTQ plus families, policymakers need that data. So if you have just a second, head over to our show notes and fill out family equalities study on LGBTQ plus families and schools. There are two different studies that you can fill out. One is for LGBTQ plus parents and caregivers with school-aged children, and one is for youth ages 13 and up with LGBTQ plus parents or caregivers. So if you fit the bill for either of those surveys, that's your homework for today. Hey kids, my name's Matthew. I'm a teacher, a librarian, and I'm the host of A Kid's Book About, the podcast. What's a podcast? Great question. A podcast is a show that you listen to, usually on a smartphone or really any device that connects to the internet. You might even be listening to a podcast right now when you're hearing this ad. And at A Kid's Book About, we talk about the big things going on in your world. Every week we chat with authors from our award-winning A Kid's Book About series. A Kid's Book About what? Well, everything. Racism, disabilities, belonging, diversity. What about anxiety? Absolutely. Anything that's important to you is worth talking about. These are the things that are shaping your world, and our guests are people who've been there too. New episodes release every Monday. Find A Kid's Book About the Podcast wherever podcasts are found. All right, we are back with Jess Venable Novak from Family Equality, and we're going to answer a listener question. You ready, Jess? I am so ready. All right, let's do it. So this anonymous question asker is asking, I am a hopeful parent-to-be, and I am also queer, and my partner is queer, and we want to start figuring out how to build our family together, but we don't know where to start. So where do I start? Oh, such an amazing question. Um, and, you know, we've talked about so much in our time together, but that is really a lot of what my work is, is just the question that you asked. So thanks for being here, um, anonymous friend. <laughs> there are a lot of different places to start. So I would say a good place is to think about the path that's right for your family. And for a lot of folks that is thinking about, you know, do we want some biological relationship to our children? Mm. What do we have in our relationship to make that happen if that's something we want? Because some of that will determine your path, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Like if you don't, if no one in your partnership has a uterus, then no one's carrying a child. Mm -hmm. But you can have a surrogate and you can still take steps to be biologically related to your child. So Mm. If you have a little bit of that kind of understanding shared between the two of you, if it's like a couple or between whomever, if it's multiple partners, that's helpful. And then I would get some basic kind of education, get your questions answered. Mm -hmm. Um, And family quality can be a huge resource in that. We have so many educational resources. Um, We do a lot of panels about the different paths to parenthood that get Mm. where we bring together medical practitioners, uh, legal perspective, so that you have all the information you need to make an informed decision. We also like, I talk to people a lot about cost, right? Because any path to parenthood has costs related. Being a foster parent has costs related, right? Um, So the cost varies, but you also want to get good information about that. So you know what to expect. And then there are like one or two other things I'd love to talk about. So 
a big one is having queer competent practitioners Mm -hmm. so that if you're doing what we call assisted reproductive technology, which Mm -hmm. means kind of a third party is involved in making a biological family, I guess, or (laughs) making children. Um, So that could be like working with a fertility clinic, doing IVF, um, surrogacy, things like that. So you'll want queer competent doctors and nurses, regardless of how you're building your family, like you want queer competent lawyers. Almost every path is going to involve some kind of legal perspective or queer competent social workers. If you're, you know, working in the child welfare system or adopting. So we can help you with all of that. We have a pretty robust database of folks who have actually gone through pretty high level training with family equality to better understand the needs of LGBTQ perspective parents and really make sure that their practices or their professional landscape is inclusive of our families. Plus, we just know folks around the country. So we can kind of make a warm connection for you of Mm. a queer family lawyer in Arkansas or something like that. We kind of don't expect to have that. I think that (laughs) as queer people, sometimes we're like, we're taking what we can get right? Especially if you live in a rural area, then there's maybe there's not a lot of fertility clinics. So you're like, well, like where I live, there's two within a two mile Mm -hmm. radius. So like, I can't really be picky. Um, And fertility fertility clinics, I've donated my eggs twice and it is just like the most, so it's so gendered. I didn't even bother coming out because I was like, this is just not even worth the effort. Yeah. And that doesn't mean they weren't lovely people. Exactly. Like Like they don't, they're not like trying to be malicious, right? They just are living and swimming in the super gendered space. Yeah. And that's something I'm really passionate about personally, but we do a lot of work at Family Quality Mm -hmm. is to train those practices so that when families come to us and say, I'm living in Vermont and I'm a non-binary person and we're doing IVF and I want like the most queer friendly person you can give me within three hours or something Mm -hmm. like that. I can give you one or two names. That's huge. I know. (laughs) I like to geek out about it Yeah, (laughs) because it's so special and you know, for folks who have gone down this path or had experiences like you, Lens, it's a vulnerable position to be in, right? Oh my God, people are poking my body. I got so exactly. much blood drawn. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like you're worrying about so many other things. And if mm-hmm. you're building a family, you are also really excited. Like, mm-hmm. right? You want space for joy and like less space for having to like, remind people of your pronouns or be like, Hey, can your form not say mother and father, (laughs) you know, like if we could take care of some of that for you, like, I want to do that Mm -hmm. because I want you to feel anxious and nervous and excited and just like really present in whatever you're doing. So that's kind of like one of the biggest things that I think some queer folks don't think about is that we can help you. Like there are queer competent folks out there and like, we just need to find them. Yeah, I had so much like doctor anxiety for a long time. And like in like figuring out my gender stuff and like getting through some of my like things and figuring out like, oh, that was 
because I was having dysphoria. I'm like clothes shopping was like a very similar anxiety feeling as going to the doctor. And so like I didn't go to the doctor often enough for a long time. And like that wasn't good until my like partner who's much better (laughs) at that stuff. She like found us a a local PCP who's been awesome and who listens to this podcast. Hello. (laughs) But it's it takes a while. And like for me, like it took my wife advocating for me and like looking for someone because I don't know, mighty ADHD brain doesn't want to do anything (laughs) that like is is at all unpleasant. And like going to a doctor who's probably going to misgender me, that doesn't sound like fun. Yeah, it's and that's so common. Like we know through research that like majority of trans identified folks like don't access healthcare because of fear of like discrimination or harm like Mm -hmm. that. That alone is like, we've known that statistic since 2015, at least. And like, that is groundbreaking. Like people would rather be ill (laughs) than have to interact with like a medical institution. Oh, 100%. Even with like my clothes, like I've been wearing the same ratty shirts for like 10 years because I don't want to go into a store. Yeah. And that's only complicated by, you know being able-bodied or disabled, you know, your racial identity, your, the language that you speak, you know, like that's just queerness and then it's complicated or you're pushed further from what you need. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really sad. And it's like one of those realities that I think a lot of LGBTQ people know and kind of expecting as they go out into the world and interact with institutions in general, there are like little chiseled in (laughs) avenues for your path to parenthood to like avoid some of that, or Mm -hmm. at least really reduce that harm. And the last thing I just want to mention, I mentioned having like lawyer support. Yeah. And that's really important because the legal landscape for LGBTQ parents varies state by state Mm -hmm. and it's really, really different. So it's really important when you're building your family to know what is the birth certificate language in your state around gender? Mm. Does it say mother and father? Does it say parent one, parent two? How, if you're a trans or non-binary person, what does that mean for your gender marker? You know, so complicated. It's so complicated. Like (sighs) if your gender marker is different on your driver's license versus your birth certificate, Mm -hmm. like does the hospital, which one do they care about? Do they care at all? (laughs) You know, all of those things. And then it's complicated even more by legal parentage. And that just means being legally recognized as a child's parent because birth certificates are actually not legal documents which most people what? don't. I know. I know. We don't talk about this enough. So even if you're in a state, which I live in a state where as long as myself and my other queer partner are married, mm-hmm. we can be on the birth certificate. No problem. Mm-hmm. Which again, that is a problem because it's a barrier, right? Like, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, my partner and I, we love each other, but like we only got married when we started wanting to expand our family because we mm-hmm. knew it would make things easier. (laughs) Right. So that alone is an issue, but then, you know, we're still not both the legal parents of our children. And while I don't think we would ever have a problem in our state, we travel out of state to visit our families. 
I would like to say we go on vacation. We don't, but we travel, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, it takes it takes enough money to build a family. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, our six month old was like five years worth of vacation. So mm-hmm. how about that? So it's really important to know what the deal is in your state. Like, there's 11 states in the U.S. that have what's called voluntary acknowledgement of parentage, which mm-hmm. means you can actually you and your partner just fill out a form together and you are both legal, like acknowledged as legal parents, both Mm -hmm. of you, but that's not the case everywhere. And in a lot of States, one of the parents actually has to adopt the kids, even if you're not building your family through adoption. So knowing the legal landscape is super important. And I want to connect you with a queer family lawyer because they know how to do it best. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh, on that note, um, we're coming up to time, even though we're getting into a lot of really, really important things. So for all of these resources, where can folks find you and Family Equality on the internets? Oh my gosh, you can find us at familyequality.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. I think it's just at Family Equality. And you can find me if you go to our staff page, my emails all over there. Also, just doing info at family equality will get you to the right person. Mm. I encourage folks to check out our website. Like I said, we have treasure trove of resources and we have so many peer support groups, um, especially for folks that are starting off building their families. So don't be shy. We are here to serve you. Amazing. Thank you so much for hopping on the pod, Jess. Yeah. Thanks, Linz. Thank you so, so much to Jess Venable Novak and all of the folks doing awesome work at Family Equality. Thank you so, so much for joining in this conversation with me. And thank you, you listeners and supporters of Rainbow Parenting. You are awesome. Thank you so, so much for listening. We have one more episode to finish out season one of Rainbow Parenting that's coming at you next Monday. I'll be talking with Canadian non-binary Twitter icon, Amanda Jete Knox. We have an awesome conversation with Amanda about their trans family and all of the transness in their family. It was a really, really lovely discussion. So I I am pumped for all of you to get to hear that next week. As always, you can find me on the social media platforms at Linz Amer, L-I-N-D-Z-A-M-E-R on Twitter and Instagram. I'm also at Queer Mixter Rogers on TikTok, although I'm taking a little bit of a break from TikTok. You can also find Queer Kid Stuff at Queer Kid Stuff on Twitter and Instagram as well. Make sure you head over to our Patreon page if you want to support us. Make sure you rate and review us on Apple Podcast. Make sure you share this episode or one of your favorite episodes that we've had so far in season one with some of your friends and colleagues and anyone who might have interest in queer liberation in early childhood education and family spaces. All right, that's all I've got for you today. Talk soon. Rainbow Parenting is hosted and created by me, Linz Amer. It's produced in partnership with Multitude and is edited by Misha Stanton. The theme music is by Amanda Darchangelis and the logo artwork is by Abe Tenzio. <laughs>